Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Welcome to another episode of the Financial Coaches Network, the podcast. We are today talking about a very popular and well requested, or I should at least say talked about topic in the Financial Coaches Community Facebook group, which is how to ask for referrals from referral partners. So if you're listening and you're like, wait, what is this community of which you speak? That is the Financial Coaches Community Facebook group, where as of this date, we have over 5,000 current and aspiring coaches who ask questions and share their knowledge. And if each other on their journey. Yeah, this this exciting and fun and oftentimes challenging journey that being a business owner and financial coach can be. And if you're in the Facebook group right now live, ask us any comments that you have in the comments below, and we will get to them throughout this discussion. So Josh, best practices for asking for referrals from referral partners. A lot of times this is the go-to for people. Mm -hmm. I would say in, in kind of the number one thing that they see as the best way to get clients. What would you say just before we start off? Like, Do you feel like that's accurate, not accurate? What caveats are around that? I think it's a bad idea to make it the go-to. Now, mind you, I'm not saying you shouldn't be working on referral partners and expanding your network and other things like that, but I wouldn't rely on it, especially early in your business. That's uh, the point. Yeah. So we will release an entire podcast. We've already recorded it, but we will release it either before or after this episode airs that will actually talk about the uh, challenges and why not to make referral partners your number one thing when you first start off. <laughs> but uh, suffice it to say, it is a long-term strategy. It takes a long time to cultivate those relationships and get that trust level to a point where people will actually refer you people. Yeah. That being said, let's assume that you've spent that time, right? You've done other things in order to get clients early on. You've spent that time building up referral partners, building up that trust. And now you've had people that you've had relationships with for a couple of years. And you want to either start or you want to encourage them to continue sending you referral partners. Yeah. So that will be kind of the starting premise. So I, I agree with you. It's important to say, this is not us saying that this is where you should start your, I'm looking for clients thing. But assuming that you're a few years into your business, you found your clients in some of the other ways that are more effective early on. And you have been building those relationships and you're at a point where now you might be able to take advantage of those relationships, not in a negative way, but just actually be able to use them for the purpose that you've been putting effort in. So what are best practices? Yeah, that's uh, so probably not just saying, hey, I need some clients. Any way you can help me out with that? Is that good? Bad? 
actually, that's not a bad idea. Uh, I know you kind of said that as a joke, but you know, it, that's obviously not the only best practice and it's not going to be at the top of the list, but I do think it's important that you are, have a certain, so here's best practice. Number one, have a certain level of vulnerability and honesty with your referral partners. Great point. You know, they, they don't know what's going on in your life. And this is not something that you, again, why this is a long-term strategy and not a short-term strategy for your first few years of business, but you've built a relationship with them. They care about you. You have been talking with them and building not only your credibility, but your likability with them over a few years, possibly before you start getting referrals from them. And especially once you do start getting referrals from them, you know, having a little bit of vulnerability of saying, Hey, you know what, you know, how are things going? Hey, you know what, you know, things are going well, you know, I'm in a slump right now. So I've had a few clients that have finished their program with me still waiting for a few others to decide. So I'm, you know, I feel a little bit like I'm twiddling my thumbs right now, waiting for these new clients to sign on. So if you know anyone that is, could use my help, now's the time, right? That vulnerability is, is important. And no one who owns a business and is actually successful in their business is ever going to look badly upon you for having slumps, for having slow times, for having times when you don't have clients. The only people who do that are people who say, I've never had a downturn in my business. I've always done great. It's always been an upward slope. And the reason why is because they've gone from zero clients to zero clients. So they've never gone down. Or they have absolutely no self-awareness or just they, they, they have the puff, the puff, the chest syndrome, right? They're lying. Yeah. 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 You can call it puff the chest syndrome. I'll just call them liars. Every, every, yeah. Every business owner experiences ups and downs. It's, it's one of the most common complaints and one of the most common shared experiences that business owners have. Yeah. So, you know, they, I would argue someone who would look down on you for having a slowdown in your business is probably not a referral partner you would want to have anyway, because that's a sign of something else going on with them. A hundred percent. And we talk about when you are working in the early stages of your business with referral or sorry, with um, sometimes beta clients or even just new clients in the beginning of your business, to be honest with where you are at as a coach, Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're taking on clients either for free or for part you know, just a portion of what your normal fee would be is to say, yeah, and I'm doing this because I'm a newer coach. I'm testing out my process, or I'm going to try some new things here and letting them know. And so I think that what you were speaking to just is another continuation of like the way that we say to be with clients early in your business, be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. hopefully be vulnerable throughout the entirety of your business, but another way of just showing up in that way. Um, So yeah, I think it's totally fine to say, if anyone could use my help, you know, I have a lot of openings right now. So now is a good time. So yeah, I, I think that's best practice number one. Best practice number two is to maintain the relationship. You know, a lot of people they they build the relationship and then they assume, oh, because we email back and forth sometimes relating to clients that we refer each other, that that is the end all and the be all of the relationship. 
it's really important that you maintain that relationship. That means taking them out to coffee. That means showing up with donuts once a year, you know, on a, on a special occasion for their office. Right now, you know, we're at the tail end of the pandemic. So a lot of people have come off of two years of not meeting with people. I have still met with my referral partners for coffee over these past two years. It just hasn't been face to face, right? I've scheduled coffee Zoom meetings for my really key referral partners. I've sent them coffee in the mail <laughs> or, or had coffee delivered with Postmates yep. at the beginning of the Zoom, right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, by the way, and, and they like flip out, flipped out about that. So, the, but the idea of just because I can't meet face to face, that doesn't mean that you can't have coffee with someone. It's just, you're both enjoying a cup of coffee and talking through a Zoom video conference. And so maintaining those relationships is important. And a part of maintaining relationships is making it not all about business. If you don't know the your referral partner's spouse's names, their kids' names, what they like to do for summer vacations, right? If you don't know those things, um, that's a concern. And especially if they've mentioned those things to you and you don't know them. <laughs> yeah. That's a huge concern. And so when you get little personal details, make sure that you're writing them down. Get that information into your CRM so that you know when you forget oh my God, what was her wife's name or what was his wife's name or what, what, whatever. You can look it up real quick and, and then ask about, oh, hey, how is Corey doing? And I think what that speaks to is if you aren't listening to those details or asking about those details, then it can be an indication that kind of business might be too much on your mind. And I've been guilty of this before. Who doggy, I tell you what, uh, as you're talking about this, I'm like, oh yeah, that was, yeah, I did that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And as a newer coach, or I was like, oh gosh, where are the clients going to come from? And I think had more of that coming into the conversation of uh, more of the need from my perspective than like truly mm -hmm. building the relationship uh, and not prioritizing that. So yes. it happens and it's important to, like you said, look at the really care, like care to understand what's going on with the human across the real or virtual table. Yeah. And I would say the more that you think referral partners are the way that I'm going to grow my business, the more likely you are to do that. Mm -hmm. Because you're looking at it as, especially if you're hoping for it to be a short-term win, you're going to be pressuring for that short-term win. You won't even realize you're doing it, right? It'll be a, it'll, and it'll be really subtle, but people will pick up on it. You know, you guys will be talking about family vacations and you'll just be like a little bit antsy of like, oh, we're, we're talking about all this personal touchy feely stuff. And this isn't really what this relationship is about, right? You'll cut it off sooner, you, you know, and whereas, and that's going to damage that personal relationship and referral partners is very much a personal relationship for sure. Yeah. yeah humans are very perceptive. I'm just listening to a book that actually, uh, King Shook in the Financial mm -hmm. Coaches Network community had talked about it called positive intelligence. And it just was, there was one section in there talking about mirror neurons and, mm -hmm. and kind of the, the two channels where you have like the data channel where there's the, is his, 
his way of putting it where like the words are being said. And then I think he calls it like the positive intelligence quotient, like the PQ channel, whatever. We all use different terminology phrases, right. Kind of for our own audiences, but it's pretty much like the words you're saying, but what you're actually saying underneath that, right. The emotional context of, yeah. And how you're communicating it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it sounds like that's what you're speaking to there. Where like, you could kind of, you could be saying the right things, but if you're antsy and you're like, God, why aren't we talking about clients and I need clients? It really does come across. Yeah. And you know, those are, that's another reason why you don't want to look at it as a short-term thing, right? It's a building relationship thing. And I'll, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I I was also just going to say, you know, and having had the experience of doing it incorrectly for a (laughs) while, uh, it also isn't satisfying, to be honest, like coming Mm -hmm. at it from just this perspective of what can this other person do for me? You're not building a genuine relationship. And so there's this kind of like manipulative not grounded in goodness, for lack of a better phrase, but like it's just not fulfilling either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from, from the perspective of someone who is looking for a referral partner to more give referrals and caring about getting to know the other person, because it was just like, what can that other person do for me? And that's not fulfilling from a human to human connection standpoint. So I'll also say, like, not only not helpful for business, but as just like a human with feelings, it's not great either, uh, and it doesn't leave you. F- like enjoying the conversation or didn't leave me all in the language, enjoying those conversations or trying to have, you know, schedule those conversations because it wasn't really about getting to know the other person. Yeah. You can say you, I think that that is a, that is a common human trait. <laughs> so I think there's plenty of psychological theory and evidence behind that, that humans need personal connection. <laughs> so what <laughs> I'm not unique. But yeah. but my mom told me. Okay. Yeah, little I know snowflake, uh, <laughs> and that one really applied. So <laughs> you got me. You got me good, Trush. But you know that that idea of personal connection is is important, and I, I think it really. You're right. It shouldn't be underrated, not only from the value of the relationship from a referral partner standpoint, but also from the enjoyment that you have of having these relationships. Yeah. Yeah. The next big best practice is really looking at how you screen your referral partners. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, especially early on, Right. And, and, you know, I, we, we're going to keep saying early on, but part of the reason why is because early on you have desperation, right? That's just, that's normal business owner psychology. Yeah. And during that desperation time, it's not just about referral partners. That desperation causes you to make decisions you otherwise wouldn't make in all aspects of your business. Right. Mm-hmm. So while we're talking about referral partners today, it's not the referral partner relationships are special. This is just normal. But it's really important that you screen referral partners, that you make sure that the referral partners have um, similar values, similar ways of approaching things as you. And that is a really, really important aspect of it. Right? But we, you also want to make sure that you're screening them for the right reasons. So I'll give an example. Uh, I have a referral partner who is, you know, I, I will, anytime clients need a refinance, I will refer to him. 
during our initial conversation where we just spent an hour talking to each other about our businesses and our philosophies and everything, and just kind of feeling each other out. I told him about my business as a fee-only advisory business, et cetera, et cetera. And the and he really tried to almost push me <laughs> to, you know, well, sell insurance and sell this other stuff. You know, you can make all this extra money. Right? And I kind of explained why he didn't, and he pushed back again. And that really rubbed me the wrong way. Right. Yeah. Because that's like a really important ethical thing for me, right? That I, I don't do anything on commission. I refer out to insurance agents that sell insurance on commission because they are the experts in placing that product once we know what the strategy is going to be and what the needs are, right? But I don't do it for myself because of that difference between the advisor and the placement of the product, that conceptual difference for me. And that's a really important thing. So I had a really negative interaction. And I had to check that emotion because while that is a really, really high level ethical thing for me that I don't have those conflicts of interest, that's a reflection. That's not a reflection on him and his ethics because he's not in my industry. I guarantee you, he's just had conversations, casual conversations with other people like me. And the and he's looking at it on the outskirts, having not really de- delved deep into that topic. Yeah. And I don't need him to have delved deep into the topic because that's not why I would refer a client to him. I ref- I need to refer a client to him because he's going to be able to help the client. And and so I have you when you screen, make sure that you're screening for the things that are important for the client in that relationship that they're going to have with the person, not the things that are important to you that have nothing to do with that client, other person relationship, right? The other professional relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I could see it being like, for me, uh, did you have, like, did he get to the point where he understood your side or kind of where you were coming from? And I didn't, and I don't need him to. Interesting. Yeah. Now I'm sure that he's, somewhat changed over time. I haven't followed up with him on it, but the, but the reality is I don't necessarily need him to, to understand my side or to, to, I'm sorry, I don't need him to agree with my side. I need him to understand it because he needs to be able to kind of explain the differences to other people. Right. But I don't need him to agree with me because what I refer people to him for is he has, he's very good at, at providing options. He's very good at laying out the options with here's what each strategy means. Here's what the costs are. Here's what everything is. And he doesn't pressure people. And that's where I was going is kind of as long as you are clear on that, right? Yeah. And, and figuring out, because in my mind, I imagine in some people's mind, it's like, okay, if there is the why don't you do this because you can sell more? It like my mind jumps to okay. So how is how do you just make sure he's not doing that for the clients that he has, right? And yeah. I, and I get it's not the same thing, but it's a kind of a oh that rhymes, you know. Yeah. So it's a yeah, figuring out the difference between just him applying where he comes from in his industry mm-hmm. to what you're doing versus him actually adopting kind of where those tactics have led to, 
with mm-hmm. certain people in the insurance or product sales industry. Yeah. And what I would say is that's really good insight, but don't confuse insight with confirmation. Mm-hmm. It's and possibility. So, it's not actuality. Yeah. And so that would be something which is what I did on our second conversation, because I said I had to check myself, right? So I had a really bad taste and I had to think to myself, no, 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 this is more a reflection of me and what's going on in me in this moment than him. And so in our second call, I had follow-up questions related to how he does business and his perspectives and other things like that to help me confirm whether that insight was insightful into a potential way of the way he's thinking or whether that was he's just trying to help me out and give me good ideas and doesn't really understand my industry enough as he shouldn't because he's not an expert in it yeah. to fully understand the, the ups and the downs of it. And so when you have those insights, it's really important as you're screening not to presume that I'm the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, and Scooby-Doo all rolled into one. I can find one little clue and figure out the whole mystery, right? Yeah. To more look at it as, okay, this is insight. I should look into this more. I should ask more questions related to it, not in an accusatory way, just in trying to understand where they're coming from. Yep. Sounds good. So. Good answer. Every once in a while, I'll have good answers. <laughs> well, what else you got then, Trosh? I would say the last thing on the list or the last best practice on the list, because uh, we're getting close to our 30 minutes. <laughs> we're getting uh, better. Yeah. But our last best practice on our list is really try to cultivate these relationships from a how the person, how can you benefit clients perspective? but do it in a way that is respectful of the other person's profession. Say more. So the most common thing that coaches will run into is overstepping bounds when it comes to investments. Hmm. And I will tell you right now, nothing bothers a CFP or a CFA more than when a person who has a rudimentary understanding of investing gives investment advice that is not proper and that will destroy any relationship. That is the same thing with CPAs and tax advice. That is the same thing with lawyers and legal advice. That is the same thing with psychologists and armchair therapists. Yeah. Right. It's really important that you understand not just from a legal perspective, but from a relationship perspective, where those lines are and how do you go about doing it? And sometimes it's hard. I have a number of occasions where it's been challenging. A good example of this is, you know, I have clients who we had a very last minute put together for a 401k plan. And we had to specifically structure the language of the plan to allow for contributions after the year ended. Okay. And the contributions have to be categorized in a very specific way, so on and so forth. Their tax attorney said, oh, this is not allowed, right? You you can't do this. You're not allowed to, you know, the financial advisor is thinking of an IRA. Now, this is an area that the tax attorney doesn't deal with very often. I deal with a lot. (laughs) 
So this is an area where I actually know more about tax law than this than the typical CPA or tax attorney does. But I'm not going to go to them and say, hey, by the way, they're not a referral relationship, but this is about making sure that I have a chance at one, but also don't do this with your referral relationships either. I'm not going to go and say, no, you're wrong. Right. And so I wrote a very carefully crafted email that said, hey, totally understand uh, what you're, where you're coming from, just so that you're prepared when they file their taxes. Here is the, here's the information. And it's not, here's the IRS documentation showing you're wrong. It's, here is the IRS documentation saying these three things need to be true. And here's how this one is true. Here's how this one is true. And here's how this one is true. Not again, from the perspective of you're wrong, but perspective of so that you don't have to look all this up. Just so that, you know, we did get this done by this date. Here was the date of the, that, the, that the forms were filed with the IRS in the Department of Labor. The contributions have to be categorized in this way. I made sure that our facilitator, our payroll facilitator was on the line with them and make sure that they did categorize those transactions in the system as these types of transactions rather than the typical types of transactions, right? So it was from the perspective of you actually already know this stuff. I'm just going to help you make it easier of knowing that all three of the boxes were checked. Gotcha. And it's really important that you allow people to save face and that you do it in a way that never undercuts the professional in the eyes of the client, because that is the fastest way to destroy a referral relationship or make sure it never gets built. Good point. Yeah. And lastly, what I would say very quick is like a bonus. If someone sends you a referral or even just sends you a name. Totally forgot about this. Yes. Thanks. Yes. Keep them up to date. You know, Uh, keep them posted. Just, uh, yeah. Even if the person doesn't turn into a referral, uh, you know, it's not like you only say thanks for the ones that, uh, that turn into clients. I make sure to say thanks before they turn into clients and let the person know they have, you know, they haven't turned into a client yet. We know we're still, we're, we still have our meeting scheduled, but I really appreciate it so that, yeah, I think that's a really key point. And I want to emphasize what you said. (laughs) (laughs) A little thanks. Yeah. Especially before it turns out or it doesn't, it's like a, it's it's like your sales process. You don't, or, or the sales activities that you do, you don't want to count how many just, you don't only want to count how many turn into clients. You want to count like just, am I making X amount of phone calls per day? Am I doing the particular actions that could lead to clients, but not just focusing on the clients themselves? So, and now we're right at the half hour. We crushed it. Josh, thank you as always. And we'll be on next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.